So good morning. So wonderful to see you all here this morning. I'm glad to be here with you today as we dive into Romans 5 together. Um, I'm a little sad. This is my last lecture of this um, time before I step out on maternity leave. Um, But this is my last lecture of the semester, which is just really weird to me, honestly. And I've really loved going through Romans with you um, so far. And I hope that you continue to enjoy it as you continue to go through it together. Um, Don't worry, we have some wonderful speakers lined up for the rest of this year, including Pastor Kate, um, Andrea, Janine, who you heard at the end of the last semester, and there's a few more. So I'm confident that you are in good hands, but I will miss teaching, honestly. Um, But I have to say that this passage, not unlike any of the others we've studied in Romans, particularly spoke to me this week. And I'm going to divide it into two sections. There's verses 1 through 11 and verses 12 through 21. Um, these, these passages that we've always been covering, just so much ground. So I feel like we're covering a lot of verses in one day. But this first portion shows us the gifts that we have because of justification, being made right with God. And the second section compares and contrasts Adam and Christ. And shows us what a wonderful gift we have because of Christ. But I hope, again, overall, that it just speaks to you of how much God loves you. That he went so far for you while we were still sinners. So let's begin with prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for the book of Romans so far and all that you've been speaking to our hearts Lord, I thank you for this amazing gift of being made right with you, a gift that we don't deserve. Lord, may we be reminded of all of the blessings that you've bestowed upon us, God, and not least of them is a relationship with you and how amazing that is, God. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts about how much you love us, that you went so far for us. God, open our minds and our hearts to what you want to say to us today, and may it just be a blessing. In your name I pray. Amen. So we're going to start with verses 1 through 11, and I'm going to go ahead and just read through this huge chunk um, just to remind us of what we read through this week. So verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved 
from God's wrath through him. For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having also been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. All right, so our passage starts with this word, therefore, because this is a consequence of the truths that Paul has already been laying out. Here is the reality that justification brings, peace with God, grace in which we stand, hope in the glory of God, rejoicing in suffering, and assurance of God's love. So the first is peace with God. Now, this is not the same as the peace of God, which is, as Keller says, a calm and satisfied heart in the midst of troubles and pressures. Instead, here, this is the peace with God. It's objective. It is the state of hostility between God and us is now over. We use this word peace today in a different way than in the Bible, because it isn't just the absence of conflict. It's a much more positive thing. Enjoyment of harmony, friendship, and unity. So in my last lecture on Romans 3, I talked about the power of sin. We're all in it. We're all alike under the power of sin. It's pervasive. No one does right. Not even one. No one seeks God. Not even one. Every part of our human condition, every faculty is under the power of sin. We are corrupted by this self-centeredness that is at the root of our sin. And I remind us of this because we must first understand this backdrop of our war with God before we can fully appreciate and understand what a gift it is to have peace with God. Stott puts it this way, justification and reconciliation belong together. For God does not confer the status of righteousness upon us without at the same time giving himself to us in friendship and establishing peace between himself and us. The second gift of justification is this grace in which we now stand. We stand in this privileged position of acceptance by him. The NIV Zondervan Study Bible puts it this way, while God has always acted towards humans in grace, this new era of salvation is especially characterized by an effusion of God's grace. Next is hope in the glory of God. This is the first way that we rejoice. It's joyful and confident expectation, which rests on the promises of God seen in the example of Abraham. As we see here, the fruit of justification relates to the past, the present, and the future. We have peace with God as a result of our past forgiveness. We stand in grace, our present privilege, and we rejoice in the hope of glory, our future inheritance. The third is the ability to rejoice in suffering. 
One of the key ways to know that we are Christians is that we rejoice in our suffering. Christians are given this unique ability. However, I want to clarify that for a minute this morning. Honestly, right now, this feels like a really hard message. I don't know about you, but I have dreaded checking my emails lately because of all of the memorial notifications that I've seen in my inbox. Heaven has sure gained a lot of wonderful people these past few months, and we miss them. We grieve over what we lost. So what does rejoicing in our suffering mean in the midst of it? First of all, I want to point out that this isn't stoicism. We don't rejoice even though we suffer. Stoics say, don't let it get to you. Don't care so much. Just muddle through. But that is not what we're talking about here. But it's also not masochism. We don't rejoice for our suffering. It's not like people who say, I have problems, therefore I'm deep and complicated. I need to feel like a martyr. It's neither of these things here in our passage. Think of Job. He was struck down to such a great degree. He lost everything and he ripped his clothes. He shaved his head. He fell to the ground and he screamed. And it says in all of this, Job did not sin. What he did was in line with rejoicing and suffering. Jesus himself weeps and is grieved many times throughout scripture. In fact, Keller points out Christians grieve even more. In our sufferings, we really suffer. We have a capacity for sadness that we didn't have before. Jesus takes our hard heart and replaces it with a heart of flesh, so we're now able to weep even more than we used to. We're willing to be involved with hurting people even more than we used to. But there is this thing that suffering does. It drives us to our roots. It drives us to see what Christ really did for us. During suffering, the suffering of Christ is felt the most. And the hope that we have gets heavier. It gets more vivid. It gets stronger. His suffering becomes even more valuable to you than ever. And we are told here in our passage that suffering produces perseverance, character, and hope. Stott says that if suffering leads to glory in the end, it leads to maturity meanwhile. So when you get into the furnace of this life, the heat purifies us like metal. Everything except gold can't take the heat. We find that there is only one hope that can handle the sufferings of this life. That is Christian joy. It's totally unique because it's not based on our circumstances. We rejoice in suffering because it produces stronger endurance, character, and hope. Christian joy can actually grow in the midst of hard circumstances because it drives us to the only one who satisfies our soul. And the last gift of justification is the assurance of God's love. 
There are two means by which we become sure of God's love, and it's through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it is because he has proven his love by Christ's death on the cross. So the first thing that we're told about this is that God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Keller points out that these, he uses these words poured out. It's not just that the Holy Spirit tells us that he loves us. Instead, it's like we experience it. This is a foretaste of the already and not yet. It's like an appetizer for the feast that we have to look forward to in the future. The Holy Spirit makes us deeply and refreshingly aware that God loves us. I hope that all of you here know what it means to be enveloped in the love of God. I hope that at some point you felt the Holy Spirit induce you to pray the word Father and gave you this awareness that God is your Father, that you are his precious child, that you are so loved by him. This doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes it goes away fast. It might just be a fleeting moment. But I hope that you know what this is like when the Holy Spirit's still small whisper reminds you of just how loved you are. The second thing that Paul, the second thing that he says is that Paul sees God's love demonstrated for us on the cross. Sot points out that this word here, demonstrated, could also be the word prove. Christ proved his love for us through the cross. And the essence of loving is giving. God loved the world, so he gave his only son. The son of God loved me, and he gave himself for me. So now we step into this second section of our passage, And here, Paul compares Adam and Christ. He contrasts them, and he shows this enormous gift that Christ gave us of righteousness. So once again, I'd like to read this section. It's a big section, verses 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure... Sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace And the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. 
For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness and to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right. So right away, we are told that through Adam came sin and through sin came death and death reigned. Rico Tyson, his sermon on this passage points out that this is a reference to all people. It includes all of us. He says, this medicine is for all people. We must not be like a pharmacist who analyzes some medicine, labels it, places a stamp of approval on it, even prescribes it, but doesn't take it ourselves. This is a terrible diagnosis of the human condition. All have sinned. Like a river that was contaminated, a catastrophic act of pollution of the source of human life, we move from sin to all dying, the universality of sin and the universality of death. At the moment we were born, we have this universal tendency to sin. We need to pray, Lord, may we be honest about our sin. May we see what our hearts are truly capable of. This goes back again to my lecture a few weeks ago. We're all under the power of sin. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We need to once again fully grasp this and be humbled by it. We need to look at our hearts and understand we are the problem. One of the most dangerous things we can do is to be tragically optimistic about the human condition, because then we will be tragically unprepared for this life. We are in for great disappointment if that's the case, because we tend to think that we're pretty good. We find it hard to grasp that we are God's enemies. We live in sin and live under this reign of death. That is the truth of our condition. But thank goodness that we had two representatives. Adam was our representative, and we can't fool ourselves into thinking that we would have done any better than he did. But Christ was also our representative And thank goodness for that. Christ did not come for his own good, but for the good of others. Tyson, his sermon again, said Christ humbled himself and became our representative. And how humiliating that we needed him to do it. We try to look so respectable, but we needed him. He came and he died for the ungodly. In our place, we saw this extraordinary exchange while we were still sinners. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act before he demonstrated his love for us. And through him, we are clothed in his righteousness. And so when God sees me, 
he sees Christ's righteousness. Tice, in his wonderful sermon on this passage, says to think about the worst thing that you have ever done. Maybe it's something you buried so deep that no one even knows about it. We're only as sick as the secrets we keep, and Satan does his best work in the dark. But as we think about that, there is more grace in Christ than there is sin in me. There is more grace in Christ than there is sin in me. Amazing. He goes on to say that we shouldn't be confused between guilt and shame. Guilt says, you've made a mistake, so go to the cross. Shame says, you are a mistake. And the devil deals in shame. The Lord Jesus saw you as so precious, not as a mistake. So precious that he died for you. And here is the amazing truth. This week, as I did my study, this word reign just kept sticking out to me. This idea of reigning that Paul uses here is interesting to me. He says that death reigned in Adam. So then you expect him to say that life reigned in Christ, but that's not what he says. It instead says that the recipients of God's abundant grace will themselves reign in life. I like how Stott says it. He says, formerly, death was our king. We were slaves under its totalitarian tyranny. What Christ has done for us is not to just exchange death's kingdom for the much more gentle kingdom of life while leaving us in the position of subjects. Instead, he delivers us from the rule of death so radically as to enable us to change places with it and rule over it or reign in life. We become kings sharing in the kingship of Christ with even death under our feet now and one day to be destroyed. How incredible. Let that wash over you for a moment. Let's look back at all we saw today in Adam, death reigned. We're under the pervasive power of sin. Our hearts were deceitful. We were the problem. But in Christ, we reign in life. We exchange our brokenness for his righteousness. We are declared right with God. And through that, we have all these gifts that we talked about at the beginning today. Justification brings about this gift of peace with God, grace in which we stand, hope in glory, the ability to rejoice in suffering, and this assurance of God's love. Do you see it? We are told that the Holy Spirit pours out God's love into our hearts. He gives us these moments of revelation of glimpses of a mere appetizer for the feast where we glimpse perhaps just for a fleeting moment, God's incredible love for us moments where you take a deep breath and realize, wow, God loves me just that much. I hope you experience that. 
I hope that perhaps you experience it today or as you go throughout your week. Notice it. Breathe it in. Feel it wash over you because you are incredibly loved by God. So incredibly loved that he went this far for us while we were still in our sin. You don't have to clean up your act for him to love you, but you may want to once you realize just how much he does. That's all I hope for you today and throughout this study of Romans. I hope that you get a glimpse of just how much God loves you, just how far he went for you. And the song I have for you today is one that is particularly special to me. I heard it at a Christian concert probably like a year ago or so. And at the moment I heard it, I immediately wrote it down because I knew one day I was going to share it with you. And I've probably listened to it a hundred times since then. And yet every time it gets to me. And honestly, I probably would have played it today, whether it related or not, because this is my last chance to do it. And I wanted you to hear it. But thankfully, I thought it fit perfectly with the lesson today. It speaks of just how much God loves us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is a God who planted the very tree upon which he would die. He is the God who put thorns down the vine and then wore them as a crown. But that pain all exposes a beauty beyond compare. It exposes the beauty of his love for us. So I hope you enjoy this song as much as I do. It's called Roses by Andrew Ripp. Let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful that you knew the ways we would break your heart, that you knew the worst mistakes we would ever make, and yet you still chose us. You still died for us. Lord, may we be just filled with awe of your love for us. As we go about our week, Lord, may it just wash over us like rain. Lord, we are just so grateful that you chose us and that you loved us just that much. I pray that you would be with us this morning as we talk about this lesson, Lord. Would it just be pleasing unto you? And as we go and have lunch with friends and fellowship together, may it just be a wonderful time and a blessing. Thank you for each woman in this room. Thank you for what a blessing they are to me. And Lord, I just... I pray that they would be a blessing to each other, that we would build one another up and remind each other of just how much you love us. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you. <laughs>